Hey everyone and welcome to Radical Humanity. My name is Ben Hoover and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, but uh, this is my podcast series where I love to explore my life, my humanity. Um, I, I, I love to explore the realms of psychology and spirituality and philosophy and the, 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 the things that assemble me and, and I think assemble life. And I love to delve into my personal story and also the conceptual uh, and and I, I, I enjoy getting honest and, and, and uncovering unraveling. There's this, uh, it's innate in me to seek, uh, to explore, uh, to, to, to journey into the inner realm of myself. So, uh, but this is, uh, this is a mini-series, and it's four parts. I thought it'd be longer, but I worked it out. I got it. It's going to be, this is the fourth part, uh, the end. And this mini-series is called The Kingdom of Heaven is Within You. And this is all, for me, all about exploring spirituality, my, my spirituality. Um, this, this spiritual home that lives within me, that's, that's intrinsic in my human nature. Um, and, uh, and the reason why I wanted to do this is because when I left the institutionalized church, the, the, the Christian faith tradition is my background, but when I left the, the, the church the rules, the regulations, the judgment, things like that. The, the, for me, what felt uh, constricting and confined, and I left the church because there was the sense in me of, I don't know, life is bigger than this, that the church is bigger than this, that the, the, the whole world is the church, that this, it's diverse, it's rich, it's, in, it's inviting me to explore, to experience, to indulge, to intimately engage with. And... Um, and part of that differentiating, really, or the biggest part of that differentiating was finding my identity outside of the messages that I've ingested, outside of um, this fusion with the church or with my family. And so when that happened, there was this been, it has been this tumultuous, conflictual, painful, sometimes incredible, beautiful experience of discovering my inner life and who I am and meaning for me. And why I'm here. So, um, so anyway, I wanted to put language to spirituality that's outside the confines of religion for me. You know, outside of ritual and routine and obligation and uh, order and whatnot. Is, is What is this inherent part of me? This dimension that's alive and vigorous and breathing and uh, active and it's active and uh, uh, compels me to connect to myself and connect with others, connect with the world around to create and laugh and cry and have sex and enjoy pleasure. And what is this? What is this that's in me, right? Or what is spirituality in that sense? Or how do I connect to that, right? So this whole uh, four-part series has been uh, to put understanding and language to myself, for myself in that. And, um, and so these these four parts are four different stories that are in the ancient scriptures or the Bible, some people call it. And, um, and they just, all these, I didn't know how they connected, but somehow these four stories end up connecting for me and, uh, I've loved it. I, uh, it, it's been, it's been really enjoyable. It's been, it's been a challenge, um, to, to put wording to the intrinsic, the experiential, right? To the feeling. Um, but, uh, really for me, very satisfying in the end. Uh, and so the first part was talking about this king, the kingdom of heaven is within you, which Jesus flips this whole 
world upside down or this whole notion upside down uh, when the Pharisees ask, hey, when is this kingdom coming that they believed was, uh, was going to be this restored uh, 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 realm in their world uh, that, that this Christ figure would come in and kick ass and knock out the, the evil, narcissistic, bloated uh, um, Roman rule, rulers that infiltrated and, and permeated their kingdom and their lifestyle. But Jesus was saying, yep, sorry, that's not going to happen. Hate to disappoint you, but the, he didn't say it that way, but he said, actually, the kingdom of heaven is inside you, which is, for me, exciting and yet mysterious at the same point, because what does that mean? And then there's another story, which is part two, where Jesus says, you cannot enter into this internal kingdom, this, this realm, uh, unless you change and become like a little child, and change is strepho or convert meaning you change direction, you turn, and you're turning towards this inherent, indwelling nature that's, that's, that's within you, this childlike way of embracing life and honesty and vulnerability and laughter and seeking pleasure and sharing in pleasure together with others and creating and uh, um, so on and so forth, right? child he's basically saying the child is the way learn from this little one and he says that you must humble yourself in order to in order to find this in order to become the greatest in the kingdom because their question the disciples ask this question of, hey who's the greatest who's the top dog and he says yep you're gonna have to get off your high horse and your pedestal and enter into reality and so humble is this nature of it's not self-flagellating or self-deprecating or hating yourself or thinking you're a wretch or a piece of shit or whatever. No, it's not that at all. Nor is it this I'm greater than other people and I elevate myself and it's this kind of inflated egotistical um, declaration and, and image of yourself. He's talking about that one embraces who they are as they are. And that includes the inner life. Anger. Uh, 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 sadness, enjoyment, creativity, desire, fantasy, longing, sexuality, gender. I mean, all of that. He's saying it's about embracing your whole self. Then you become the greatest. So he's saying greatest is synonymous with being a child because a child is not hypervigilant or caught up in their image. They just enjoy and live in mystery and intimately engage with the unknown and connect with others in that way. So, um, <clears throat> then there's part three, which uh, uh, excavates this or unravels this even more for me, that in this story, it's the story about this Samaritan woman at the well, and Jesus has this interaction with her, but it's this profound interaction on so many levels because he breaks the barriers of Jews and Samaritans hating each other and a man and a woman having a conversation when they're not supposed to. Uh, it's, it's, it's unacceptable, right? And then this woman who has this vast relational history of five marriages and uh, um, and and just living with a man now that she's not married to, and that uh, and that was so against the rules. This woman was a social pariah and hated, um, and judged, and so and alone and isolated. And here Jesus interacts with this woman, which is outlandish, and crosses all these invisible barriers and draws the truth out of her, right? Without judgment, without saying you're wrong or you shouldn't be this way or you know none of that. He just. He gets honest with her, and she gets honest with him, and that frees her. And she goes running off to her town saying, 
Guess what this man just told me? He just said everything about my history. This town, the people that she lived in the shadows of, that she lived on the outskirts, that she avoided speaking the truth to. All Jesus did was just illuminate this reality that lived in her. That's it. And she came alive. Right? So, um, anyway, there's more to that story, so listen, I hope you listen to all that, um, and hopefully in order here, but... Um, so, yeah, so all he did was re- remove the, the shame and judgment and just illuminate the truth. And that's what this fourth part is, because I wanted to journey more into understanding this whole judgment-truth uh, dynamic, this paradigm. Um, because I really think the real battle is with judgment. And I'll explain what judgment is, and um, uh, that'll, that'll happen in the midst of this story that I'm going to go into. But, uh, but there was this phrase that Jesus says that has stuck with me for a long time. And I thought, I want to do an episode to it or do a writing. And little did I know that this would be the ending to this four-part series, that this would tie it all up for me. Um, that, uh, uh, and beautifully so, in my opinion. And, um, but it was, it's been such a fascinating, intriguing statement that I knew was so rich with meaning and, and answers. And, and, in which I was searching in search of, and um, and it encapsulates my own experience, this own, my own journey of finding myself, of of working to discover the truth within me. Um, so uh, anyway, so so this 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 phrase that he says, which I'll I'll get into um, down the road. It's uh, it's this declaration for me that's rich with instruction on how to find this freedom, uh, uh, how to live, uh, uh, live this life, this genuine childlike self. Um, and, and it's a statement that teaches one how to experience this inner kingdom. But um, I want to get into the story first, and then I'll pick it apart. So, um, so I'm jumping into the, 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 middle of a very intense dialogue that's happening between Jesus and the Pharisees and others. Um, and it comes with a lot of backstory that I'm just going to paraphrase. So Jesus, uh, this controversy ensues when Jesus heals this man. He does this miraculous healing. This man's restored to his full health. And he does that on the Sabbath day. And the Sabbath is this, it's, uh, it's one of the Ten Commandments. And it's, uh, it's a mandated day of rest. You're, the, the way that the, uh, um, the Jewish people interpret it as like basically you don't do anything on that day. <laughs> Maybe breathe. Um, I'm being hyperbolic, but that's uh, they, they would take it so literally. So for Jesus to do this was a pretty uh, severe offense. But but also um, what's fueling this controversy? It's not it's not just that he's breaking law breaking um, or that he's executing law breaking uh, uh, mystifying acts of healing on this holy day. Or pulling off puzzling stunts like walking on water or turning a couple of, uh, of loaves of bread and a fish into an all-you-can-eat Vegas buffet. Um, but he's also saying some really weird stuff. He's making some bizarre, kind of egotistical statements uh, 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 about himself and his nature. For instance, he, um, he, he claims that he's the bread of life. And, and he says, he says some weird things like, if you, um, um, anyone who drinks my blood or eats my flesh 
um, basically saying if you know turning people into cannibals and vampires. But if you if you eat my uh, if you drink my blood or eat my flesh, then you'll have eternal life. But he also says things too, like he's the light or the radiance of the world, and if you um, follow him, you will never, ever again walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And and then he 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 also professes that the scriptures uh, are referencing him, and that he and God are like best buddies. They're tight knit. They're on, they're they're on the same wavelength. He's picking up. Uh, he's picking up the messages, right? And he, he says that, he, he mentions to the crowd that he only shares what he hears from the source, or in his language, what the Father is saying. Now, if that already hasn't maxed out on the bizarre meter, or instigated enough confusion and outrage, he also, he also includes that he's existed long before their highly revered Forefathers, which, by the way, just as a side note, I think um, I don't think that's Jesus himself. I think that's the Christ in him that's talking. But anyway, that's um, enjoy unraveling that for yourself. <laughs> but, um, um, so, of course, when he says all this, this provokes uh, um, this provokes this uh, this fury amongst the the religious who become hell bent on getting rid of this guy. I mean, they want to just erase this supposed heretic from the earth. So Jesus is doing a damn good job at, at creating hate groups towards him. He's, he's not the greatest at creating fan clubs back in his day. But in the midst of these heated conversations, Jesus, uh, in uh, going back to the, the whole Sabbath controversy, Jesus gets kind of, he gets pretty pointed and confrontational with the, with the religious crew who were pissed that he broke the Sabbath rules. And he, he calls them out on, um, you know, after, after he's confronted on this supposed illicit act of healing this man on this ordained day of rest, he, he calls them out on their ignorance. And he reminds them that even on the Sabbath, uh, that, that they break their own rules on this holy day by um, by even performing circumcisions, with this, which is another rule. So in order to not break that rule, they break the rule of the Sabbath. So he's so then he says to him, "I don't get it. All right? He, why then are you so angry? If you defy your own rules too on this day, why are you so pissed off that I healed a man fully, that I brought him into full health? You know, you're snipping off foreskins on this day, and, and you know he's not saying I'm better. He's just saying like you, you know." Here you are snipping off, you know, foreskins, and and I'm, you know, I'm healing a man. What's what's the big deal? Why are you getting so outraged about this? But then, following this, he he unwaveringly addresses their judgment, and he tells them to quit making evaluations about the outside appearance, and to start understanding the truth more accurately. He also um, he adds at one point that. Their, his judgment is true, but their judgment is way off because they judge on the basis of flesh. Now, flesh is sarks in Greek. And Greek is referring to the exterior, the, the, the surface of the behavior. So in other words, he's confronting them on their distorted evaluations about him and others, and most likely themselves, right? Because the, the judgment, the judgmental realm lives within. It's first ingested 
from the external, from our parents, from our societies that tell us there's something wrong or we shouldn't or shouldn't, you know, so on and so forth, right? Um, but then we start, then we carry that, that voice within and then it pro we project that out in the world. And, um, and so he's saying, he's confronting them on their whole evaluative rubric. And he says, your intuitive eyesight, eyesight is not 2020. So, which then brings me to this topic of judgment. Because it's a subject that is brought up and it's continuously threaded throughout these conversations. And, and for, for me, as I see it, it's both implicitly and ominously present in the various stories of healing and transformation across the ancient texts. When Jesus is interacting with people, and particularly I'm referencing even the, the story of the Samaritan woman at the well, um, uh, it, it, you, you can tell the people, just in the stories, that people are so burdened and weighted down by this, this force of judgment. So this is, a, this is a constant presence throughout these stories, whether it's explicitly talked about or it's implicit in the, in the narrative. Right. So, um, so then judgment, which is krino in Greek, it means decide or distinguish. It's, it's to separate. Um, it's to come to a conclusion based on personal standards, um, uh, uh, and it's segregating what is believed to be right from wrong or good from bad. Right? So the individual who operates in judgment, um, they're in an unconscious or cloudy, dim or limited state of awareness uh, or consciousness um, uh, and, and reality. And in this place, one will divide in themselves internally and others what they appraise to be acceptable or lovable and what is not. So an example of that would be when I talk about on an individual level, I'll get to the um, external um, level as well, but on an, in an individual and internal level, what that looks like is someone will push away certain feelings or certain desires or their sexuality or whatever it is. They'll split it and they'll say, this is bad and this is good. So uh, um, to specify even more, uh, um, often judgment is, uh, falls under the talons and the, jo uh, um, the, yeah, the talons of criticism, where it's often judged as this is bad. This is wrong. This shouldn't be there. I'm not supposed to get angry. I'm not supposed to have rage. I'm not supposed to feel hate. So on and so forth. So what that there's this judgment. The judgment is this is wrong, and in reaction to that, then one will push it away. They won't look at it. They won't embrace it. They won't let it um, take place in them, exist in them. But maybe they were loved for being funny, right? For for or being beautiful on the outside or something, and so that becomes. Uh, what's emphasized? Well, then I'll be I'll be this funny guy or this funny woman, um, or I I will live always um, meticulously taking care of my physical appearance, right? And, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with wanting to look good. I mean, and wanting to wanting to feel attractive and wanting to enjoy your physical appearance, absolutely. But I'm talking about when someone is plagued and haunted and tormented with judgment. That, that their meaning, worth, and value comes only through that. Right. So, um, so what happens is judgment has this presence that causes the splitting. It 
push this away. Anger is bad, so I don't feel this. But laughter is good, and comedy is good, and that's good. Or um, you might have experienced judgment from a parent saying, maybe more from a father figure, to a son saying, um, don't cry. You're a little girl. You're a fag, or something like that. And what does that child do? They, the child will internalize that judgment and hate that in themselves and will push, will viciously push that away. So, uh, um, so that's what I mean. Um, now, when judgment and, and even shame, and shame is internalized anger, that's actually, uh, the anger that lives inside the person is actually directed towards an external source. But, um, uh, but shame is when hate overtakes the person, consumes them, and it's directed inward, and it's, there's this disgust and self-hatred. So, when judgment... Um, and shame also. Um, but when judgment rules the inner world of someone, um, not only can they not see clearly, but the effects is that one is haunted by confusion, anxiety, and insecurity. And within these walls, one will endlessly attempt to control life, to guard themselves from seeing and experiencing this inner realm, these unspoken truths, these, these historical pains, um, and these malnourished desires that live inside. So, for instance, an example for me is uh, after this breakup that you know happened last year, um, this pain would come up, but it would manifest in these memories. And in these memories, and in this in this place of feeling pain, I would just keep digging. I would keep searching. I would keep uh, judging myself. Like, why did I do this? Why did I mess up? Why didn't I get angry? Why didn't I speak the truth? Why didn't I do... If only... Right. That's judgment. But underneath judgment, what's fueling that beneath is just, I'm in pain. But judgment is this form of trying to control it, that, to get rid of the pain, to, to end it, instead of just experiencing the hurt, the heartbreak, the ache within. That's it. Right. So that's what I mean, is that there's this attempt to control Right. Or we'll do that with others. We'll judge them and say, you're supposed to do this or you should do this or there's something wrong with you. But that reveals something within our own self. What is going on in me that I have to control this person? That I have to criticize them or evaluate them? So, um, judgment is this voice that reverberates lies. And it shows up in statements such as, should or shouldn't. I have to, I'm obligated to, I must. Um, something is wrong with me. I'm fucked up. Or they're fucked up. Or something, right? Or or it's appearing in the form, uh, sometimes it'll appear in the form of unspoken expectations. Meaning, um, they're supposed to do it this way, the way that I want it. Way I'm, you know, or he's supposed to know, right? Uh, he's supposed to know when I'm hurting or when I'm, so, like, uh, even um, my ex-girlfriend would do that at times. Like, she would kind of, you know, overtly but non-verbally would display like she wanted something or you know and then she would get upset because I didn't notice that instead of her asking me hey can you get this for me can you buy this for me right she was <laughs> but she also got honest with me at some point she said hey I just want you to know I don't feel safe at times because you say you're going to do something and then you change your mind and then I don't trust you and that was totally vulnerable there was nothing judgment she spoke to her own experience uh, in regards to uh, um, what she encounters with me. That was really well done. There was nothing evaluative about that. That's, um, but well, back to the unspoken ex um, expectations is, yes, there's this um, internal projection 
an assumption that this person is going to meet my need in this way and do this and um, be this and so on and so forth. Right. Or it comes out in labels or assumptions, so on and so forth. And so that's just an abridged version. It can manifest in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, we want to call something this and or that or this or that or marriage is this and but it's not that or, um, all right. But then there's also this psych, uh, physiological and psychological experience that happens, um, or as I like to say, an embodied effect that takes place when judgment enters into the scene. This, this voice of criticism. It generates a, a, a consuming sense of feeling stuck or helpless, like very weighted down. When Jesus says, you know, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, he's talking about that he doesn't live plagued by judgment. But judgment creates this burden, this heaviness. Right? One feels bound, restricted, and imprisoned. In other words, I become, in the, in, in the presence of judgment, I become a prisoner inside my own self. Existing in um, what I like to say, this impenetrable psychic darkness. I can't get through. I can't find it. What's going on? I'm lost. There, I'm consumed by impotency. It's futile. I'm captive to disorientation. I'm confused. And I'm, 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 uh, there's this obstruction from perceiving or understanding the truth. That's what happens in judgment. So one lives suffocating and disconnected from themselves and others. Right, when I say disconnected, I mean there's this chasm, there's this gap. There's I'm pushing something away in myself, and I might I'm pushing somebody else away because I hate them or I hate something in them. But it reflects something within myself. So, um, so that's that. Then uh, naturally, automatically creates this disconnection, the splitting. So judgment is this toxic and. Uh, this toxic generational and systemic voice. And it's traveled across humanity from the birth of it, I believe. And it stems first from an external source. So we, you know, it's delivered from our outside support systems, from our parents, from the church, from our, our religious systems, or, or uh, society at large, or our friends, or whatnot. So it comes first through that realm. And really... Uh, most often from our parents in our formative years. And then we ingest it. It burrows deep into our psyche, into our internal world, and it saturates and inhibits our authenticity and our childlike nature. We end up stunted. So, um, so judgment, um, not only is it a powerful force that creates internal divisions on an individual level, as I explained, but it insidiously manifests bigger than that uh, in generating global relational chasms amongst, amongst uh, our humanity. Racism is the most obvious example to that, for that. In, 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 uh, <laughs> racism is the most obvious example of judgment. Um, if, the way I interpret it is that racism is this concoction of misdirected hate. So the hate is legitimate, meaning the hate is there for a reason, but it's misdirected. It's towards a different source of hurt, of wounding, of infliction. Right? Um, but it, so it's a concoction of misdirected hate and judgment. So if you think about it, um, one of the obvious examples of racism is uh, whites and blacks, that segregation. 
that whites elevated themselves to be bigger than, better than, um, special, more special, elevated, and they degraded blacks. Right? Evil. I mean, that's, that's, that is evil in and of itself. Um, and so, uh, well, it's evil incarnate, basically. And um, so this is, this is how judgment manifests. It creates these splits, these fissures amongst our own self, amongst our own relationships with people and with the greater world. So, um, so judgment operates contrary to the unitive nature from which Jesus lived. And what I mean by unitive, I mean everything exists together. Everything lives together in reality. There's no bad only lives here or good only exists over here. The good and bad mutually co-occur in life and in ourselves, right? So, for instance, and I'm using good and bad loosely. I don't like those terms. But, for instance, there's a side to me that I can be a real asshole to people. I give a shit. I don't want to hang out with people. I don't want to listen. Like, even I even had a friend where he wanted to talk, and, and I, I did reluctantly. But, you know, I said to him, I think the next day, I'm like, dude, like, honestly, what I wanted to say with you is say to you is like, go deal with your own shit. I'm not in a place right now. I'm dealing with my own stuff. Like, I don't care. And, you know, he laughed about it. And, uh, but, um, but then there's this other side to me of, dude, I will jump in the ring with you uh, or maybe not in the ring. Well, kind of. But jump in the trenches with you and I will, you know, I'll cry. I'll laugh with you. I'll get angry with you, towards you, confront the things, um, uh, address judgment, draw out the truth. Uh, yeah, I'll do that. So both sides exist to me. They're not bad. They're not wrong. They just are. Um, another element of humanity that's so controversial is, say, pornography. Pornography um, depends on which, uh, which setting you're in. But in the religious setting, which I grew up in, you know, it's, it's very much promoted that pornography is evil, wrong. It's the destroyer of marriages and relationships. It's, it's evil. And, 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 or if you're single, there will be this constant, beating yourself up or evaluation of something wrong or I can't lust or I can't, I mean, so, so much uh, uh, criticism. But in, in, in a unit of nature, um, how one would experience or perceive pornography is that there are different forms of it. There is a side to it that, yes, is questionable in its genuineness. There's, there's, it lacks mutuality. There's a, there's a power a control differential. There's um, there's a there's a sense of abuse. Uh, there's a sense of humiliation, uh, degradation in there. But there's also forms of pornography that are displayed where there's playfulness, there's tenderness, there's um, there's a, an aggressiveness. But it's in the sense that it, there's passion. It's connected. It's not degrading, um, and uh, it's safe. And, uh, and, and there's mutual enjoyment. So both exist in that realm. Right? But how it's perceived often is that it's all bad and we need to destroy it. Well, there's a lot of stories out there, including my own, that would speak differently. Um, and, uh, and I have an episode that eventually I'll post on that. So anyway, so that's, that's an example, two examples of this unit of nature, of judgment. Now, um, yes, I know this whole topic is heavy. <laughs> it's it is because that's that's the effect that judgment creates is a burden is heaviness is this weight 
this sense of, of this feeling of despair and helplessness and or, or hopelessness, right? Um, but this is where I'm excited because there's actually hope because there is this profound and transformative reality that I find that that um, that, that that is actually essential to grasp because um, behind the walls of this constricting presence lives and exists and breathes this vibrant realm of untapped personal desires, creative energies, lustful yearnings uh, for intimate connections and spirited uh, impulses to seek and boldly engage in the unknown. And yes, I say lustful because lust is not a bad thing. <laughs> lust is just another way of saying hunger, desire, burning desire, right? So all of that lives underneath judgment, if we remove it. Which then brings me to that statement, right? This, this, this statement that I've built this final piece around, but connects to the past three, the former three. Um, so, in the midst of this vitriolic storm of, of the, the religious vigilante that's stirring up, and um, you know, who would love nothing more. They're dead set on getting rid of this guy, right? Um, but in the midst of that unearths this group of followers, there's, there's a small group, there's people that are starting to awaken to what Jesus is saying. They're starting to get it. They're, they're, they're picking up the message. But actually, I think it's not even just the message, it's actually his expression. It's, the, it's his embodiment, the way he lives, his embodiment of genuineness and inner security and freedom. This guy knows himself. And and he interacts with life this way, and I think they're drawn to that, as well as what he says. So he he turns to to this group of believers, and he says, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This, by the way, this is a badass statement. This is why I had to give so much background, and I didn't want to just delve into this because it, it fits in the context of what he's talking about when he confronts judgment and this and all that. And um, So, uh, now, okay, what does the statement mean? Well, let's break it. I'm going to break it apart. To know, gnosko, it means to come to recognize, understand, to become conscious or aware of, right? This light flickers on. Oh, I see it. The truth, aletheia, is reality. It's the state of something as it actually exists. Right? Remember in that, the story of the Samaritan woman, truth is used several times, right? Aletheia or its form of it. Um, so this appears often in that story. And then when he says, and set you free, um, I am going to butcher this because I am not a Greek. <laughs> I'm not, I am not a uh, proficient in Greek um, or fluent, um, but it's Eleuthero, Eleuthero. And that's E-L-E-U-T-H-E-R-O, O with an accent at the end, at the, on the last O. So he says, and set you free, which means to liberate from bondage. Dude, this, this is getting pretty cool for me. So bondage, what, bondage from what? Well, zip, that's my uh, sound effect for reverse. If you go, <laughs> or maybe it's a zipper sound. Um, uh, if you, if you, uh, if we reverse back, we go back to judgment. Remember what judgment does to the self. This, this, this oppressive force. It's this tormenting inner experience of restriction, helplessness, and imprisonment. It's the complete opposite 
of freedom. One lives bound up, tied up. So, therefore, what is he saying with the statement? At least the first part. He's saying that when you come to understand reality, when you know this, this reality that lives inside you, it's happening now within you, conscious of the present moment as it happens, you will, he says will, it will set you free. You will inextricably experience liberation. A liberation that comes from when you listen to, trust, and respond to the genuine voice pulsating within. When you sort out all the debris and impediments and you pick up that signal, ah, then you'll know and, and you'll, you'll experience this freedom. Okay, that's pretty cool. But it's still, for me, it still is a little nebulous. You know, how does one come to know this truth then? What's that process? If, if, if knowing this, right, if you experience this reality within, if you embrace it as it happens to you, and, and in making connection with that, you, um, you're set free. But how, how does that even happen? How do you know this, right? Um, well, the answer, I, as I see, is in the first half of the statement. He says, if you continue meno, which is uh, if you stick to, if you adhere to this, if you, if you um, devote yourself to this, to in my word, logos, in word, which is this uh, logos, this embodiment of an idea, right? That which is invisible is now visible. If you, if you continue in this way, if you are truly, and there's that word again, aletheus, right? You are genuinely my disciples. You are learning it. You are getting it. You are discovering this genuineness. So in other words, he says, if you stick to, this is my, how I'm phrasing it, if you stick to or follow my way of being, what I am embodying, living out of an experiential nature, the way life stirs and resonates internally and through your body, you will come to understand reality and live in freedom. This phrase is an encouragement to keep seeking, searching, learning, and discovering this dimension inside yourself. Now, why am I saying that? What does that mean? So what he's talking about is you coming to know happens when you connect to your own body. The way that I connect to my own body, the way that I move and exist and operate. I'm connected to my whole world inside myself. I listen to the stirrings inside. That's what he's saying. So how do you do that? Well, you got to get connected to yourself. Right? So, therefore, under, he's saying understanding or knowing, it happens experientially. Are we not experiential beings? Do we not first have an encounter that, that resonates or signals into our, in our bodies? That then we begin to understand, oh, what is this telling me? Right? So, um, so, it happens ex experientially when we connect to this truth that's communicated through the physiological dimension of ourselves, free of criticism. Criticism blocks this. So there's this uh, um, inherent and internal psychological guiding realm, and it and it it comes it comes into being. It comes into form. It it shows up um, by activating our bodies, and it primes us to respond to this voice inside. For instance, um, my the way I do therapy. Because uh, I think I said I'm a marriage and family therapist. The way I do therapy is totally experiential. 
when I was a, a newbie in the field, I had, you know, notes taken, I was ready, I was, okay, I got theories lined up and interventions, and, and that would all go to shit, because, you know, the person would come in, and they'd be in a, in a state that was, you know, specific to where they were at in the moment. All that stuff went to shit, and as I grew and developed, I learned to, li- to, to bond and connect out of experience. So when I'm feeling tired with a client and I'm trying to keep my eyes open, that's communicating something. What am I experiencing with them? Ah, they're in their head. They're being more matter-of-fact and, 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 uh, and more cognitive or cerebral. And they're not connected to their gut, to their intuition, to the feeling, to the emotional realm. Ah, this is what it this is. Because then I'll have clients that are, and man, you would have thought that I wasn't tired at all. I was ready to go run nine miles. It was that energizing, that connective, and that all. And so when uh, when I share myself with with my clients, when I or when I respond to them, I will listen. I have to listen to my experience that's going on in me. What what is going on, and what is this telling me about the connection right now? What is this experience? When I hear a client, I look past the content. The content is important, but it's actually what's fueling the content, the feeling, or sometimes lack thereof. Um, that's what I'm listening to, right? So that's what I'm learning to listen to even in myself when I get up in the day. It's, oh, what's, what's, what's my inner world telling me? What's, what's this voice inside telling me? What's going on? What am I going to do? What am I, right? That's, you know, that, um, roots, grounds me in the present, in the reality. So this is what he's talking about is that there's this guiding realm that comes through in our bodies and it primes us to respond to this voice. And, what is this voice? It's our own genuine voice. It's a voice teaching us, showing us, connecting us to the world around. A voice that fuels us to seek and experience. A voice that uh, intuitively draws us towards what we desire and want and love. A voice that compels us to, to uh, creatively and actively engage with life. A, a voice that compassionately instigates healing and restoration. It's a voice that uh, moves us towards play, pleasure, and enjoyment. Imagine that. A vo- like this, this inner compelling force that's drawing us to deeply enjoy life. And it's a voice we can confidently trust to guide us. This, for me, is badass. And, and, and so when, when one comes to know, intimately know, connect to this voice inside themselves, Jesus is saying that you will experience the liberation to enjoy your own authentic identity in the midst of this continuously unfolding mysterious existence wherever you are. That's when he says, when he, when he says the kingdom of heaven is within you. Life and passion, enjoyment, and pleasure exist inside. Transformation and healing exist inside. When he talks to the woman at the well about worship changing from, it doesn't matter location anymore because it's about being rooted in yourself. That what's really going to change, and he says, and the time has come now, is that you will connect to that greater than you and to the world around you when you connect to yourself and your own genuineness, your own breath. That's what he's saying. That's what this is communicating. When judgment uh, is removed, freedom happens. And it opens up this unhindered connection to yourself and the guiding voice within. 
And by the way, it concurrently creates enjoyment and satisfaction. When I discover what the truth is in myself, what reality is, there is this relief and there's this uh, sometimes this ebullient, euphoric, energetic like reaction that happens to me. Oh my God. I had, you know, I had that moment one time with a, another breakup where I was beating myself up as to why I texted her and I was, and I was, uh, and, you know, I, I was so overly um, contrite and beating myself up and all this stuff. And I started, I would, you know, after I, I sent that, I was just, oh my God, I was ripping myself apart. Why did I do this? And why? And then, and I got angry. I remember, and I didn't get angry at myself. I got angry at this oppressive force of judgment. And then it clicked. Oh my God, this is what I did as a kid with my mom. I would beat myself up to try to get her to come back, to soften her, to love me, to, oh my God. And then, and then I felt so free that I wanted to write about it. It was so incredible, beautiful. This is, this is what I'm talking about. That when judgment is removed, it has to be confronted. That's the, I, I and probably need to be included in that because um, in order to find the truth, you have to confront judgment. You have to be able to discern this. Right? So when Jesus makes this uh, declaration, when he makes a statement, he has just handed over the keys to the kingdom. That's pretty fucking awesome to me. So, therefore, uh, in seeking to define spirituality, the world, the realm within myself, and the spiritual nature from which I live out of, these four stories coalesce. They combine. They 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 work harmoniously together in creating understanding of the spiritual nature, the spiritual nature that is unconfined, unfettered, vigorous, playful, pleasurable, genuine, creative, unitive, non-judgmental, and liberating. Amazingly, it, it, it all connects. Every story unearths the same message expressed in different ways, expanding more and more upon the former. It, uh, it's unbelievable. The kingdom of heaven is long, that was long believed to be some distant paradise or this uh, restorative kingdom to the Israelites that, that kicked out the, 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 the Roman rulers. No, it exists now. It exists now in ourselves and it's found on the inside. And it can only be accessed when we become childlike, when we return to our roots, this true intrinsic nature. And this nature within us, this childlike nature, is this vibrant, vigorous, genuine living water. It is our authentic, alive self that, that often has to go through a tumultuous, conflictual, evolutionary journey a very turbulent journey of being found. And the result that when this is discovered, this freedom of of discovery, of connecting, of finding one's uh, childlike identity, it can't be contained. It's, It's inextricable. It's automatic. It can't be contained or hidden. That this awakening uh, uh, spiritually compels one to share themselves and who they are with the world like the woman at the well. So we naturally become conduits of authenticity, just like Jesus. That's why when I said in the last episode that the magic exists in us too. He just just started it. 
that's what's so fucking badass. That's that mustard seed, right, that grows. It's just this removal of judgment. And then we become conduits of that ourselves. And it ripples out. And so um, this inner realm, this childlike nature, this genuine radiating energy that dwells inside, it can only be experienced and lived from within when one is liberated from the tyrannies of judgment. From right, wrong, good, bad, should, shouldn't, something's fucked up. That's all, When all of that is exterminated, then we connect to this. So when criticism is removed and this truth is discovered, this truth that lives and breathes inside is consciously experienced, I see it now, I'm aware of it now, then one finds themselves unbound, at peace, and in union with life. Therefore, when Jesus talks about this inner realm and becoming a child and this living water and this truth, it's all the same. It's synonymous with freedom. Freedom to experience life as it happens inside and outside of ourselves, And freedom to vulnerably embrace. When I say vulnerably, I mean unguarded. To vulnerably, in an unguarded position, embrace and bring meaning to existence. Meaning, we proactively create. We proactively restore and heal and and invite people to experience this together. Indulge and imbibe in the pleasures of life. That is so fucking cool. And what's even cooler is that we don't have to strenuously search far and wide. Fly to the remote ends of the earth in a way. You can. I mean, you know, or eternally depend on gurus for solutions. Maybe in the beginning, yeah. But I'll tell you what, the best guru is one that reveals their humanity, their human self, and says, I don't have all the answers, and directs them back to themselves. So yeah, fly over the world for that. If someone's going to teach you that, that everything lies within. So we don't have to eternally depend on them. Because the answers, the antidotes, the remedies, the instructions, and the path to this unbound self, they are all found inside. Underneath our very skin. And so, that's it. That, that, that concludes this four-part series on spirituality, folks. I have loved this. I've gotten frustrated. I almost gave up and on the writing and just thought, screw it, this is just for myself. But I'm so glad that I came back to it, that I revamped it, um, that I, I wrote in a way that I felt excited about, that I liked to read it and was interested in. And I'm glad I get to share that with everyone. Uh, this has been quite a journey of discovering myself and that clearly that journey continues. This this isn't coming to an end, um, but in a way it is in the sense of putting language to this whole experience of leaving the external and finding the internal in myself and connecting to that and uh, living from this out of this realm, from this framework, from this groundedness, this reality, and uh, and so I'm excited to see what will come from this. What what my writings, what will come of my writings, what I'll start focusing on, what the topics will be, uh, what I'll start sharing in podcast episodes even more. Um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So uh, I hope that this touched you in some way. I hope you wrestle with it, hate it, love it. Make, make it 
your own. This is just this is just what's worked for me. This is my language to put in. This there's there's so much to unravel and discover, and I hope that that encourages you and excites you to do this, to explore this um, for yourself. So, on that note, I am going to say goodbye for now. Take care, everyone.